Hi, I'm Curtis Hill, and you are listening to The Extra Point. It seems like it was just New Year's, and here we are, the week of January 19th. It's hard to believe. Ogletown family, I'm so grateful for you downloading this episode of The Extra Point. It is a privilege. It's exciting to be a part of what God is doing at our church right now. I hope you see it. I hope you're engaged in it. This past Sunday was uh, two great worship services, a lot of guests that we're seeing, and I hope you're aware of that and hope you're reaching out to people that are new, maybe people you've not met before, taking the initiative to meet them, uh, to bring them into the Ogletown family. I am excited about what the Lord is doing at our church. I particularly have enjoyed going through the book of Acts. So my study and my prep for this began a couple months ago as I began kind of filling the well, trying to make sure I was ready to teach and preach through this first part of the book of Acts. And I have really, really enjoyed what the Lord is showing me, what the Lord is teaching me. And there's so much. Again, the point of this podcast is there's too much to be able to share in 30 to 35 minutes on a Sunday. And so I'm grateful for one more place to at least give a little bit more time and energy to some things that have been on my heart. We have been in Acts 1, particularly this past Sunday, we talked about the ascension of Jesus Christ. So it comes from Acts 1, 9. Let me read it. It says, after Jesus had said this, and this is actually the commissioning of the disciples to be witnesses. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. We talked this past Sunday about the meaning of the ascension, so we might know what a lot of things mean. I'm not sure we always have a firm grasp on what the ascension means. And so we highlighted a couple things. One is the ascension means that Jesus has ascended to a place, a permanent place of power. So he rules, he has authority, and he uses that power. He uses that authority for the benefit of his people. And then we also talked the meaning of the ascension, that the ascension is for the purpose of closeness, particularly so that Jesus would be close with the Father, renewed intimacy there, but also that Jesus would be close to us, all of us, all the disciples for all time, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He would send his Holy Spirit and Jesus wouldn't just be in one physical location at one point in time, but through the Holy Spirit, he promises to be with us all, even to the end of the earth. So we looked at the meaning of the ascension. And then we also took a few moments to assess what did the disciples do after the ascension, after Jesus was taken into heaven. And one thing we noticed is they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and they went to Jerusalem and waited for the Holy Spirit to come. But we also highlighted that they gathered together and prayed. They gathered together. So when Jesus ascended, they gathered together as believers. So men and women, disciples, uh, even people that were biologically related to Jesus, as well as those that have been called into Jesus' family, they gathered together, they prayed, and they were united in that. A couple of things that I just wanted to note. Again, you don't have time to delve into all these things. But uh, one thing that may be of interest is the actual ascension, the description of the ascension. 
is only found in Luke and Acts. And even there, it's recorded a little bit differently because Luke, it comes at the end of a narrative. Acts, it starts, it starts a narrative. It's at the beginning. Although many, many times in scripture is the ascension referred to, actually the, the description of it specifically of how it happened, kind of the historical record, the historical narrative is only recorded in Luke and Acts. And then the rest of scripture is in light of it. I also mentioned this past Sunday that I don't think it's insignificant that there was a cloud that took him out of their sight. So you also read of a cloud in Exodus 19, and you read of a cloud in Leviticus 16, and you read of a cloud in 1 Kings 8. And what those things all have in common is that they were significant markers in the history of Israel. So when on Mount Sinai, when the law is given, the 10 words, the 10 commands are given in Exodus 19, there's a cloud. And when the tabernacle is completed and the glory fills the tabernacle, there's a cloud. And when the temple, Solomon's temple, is finished, there's a cloud in 1 Kings 8. So this is significant. I don't want that lost on us, that the fact that Jesus is taken up in a cloud is meant, I think, to draw us back to these significant times in history, uh, God's history. Also, I have been reading Along with Acts 1, 2, and 3, I've been reading Luke 21, 22, 23, 24, and there's so many references and allusions. I mean, just the Mount of Olives, the apostles, the disciples, the witnesses, uh, the kingdom of God, women together uh, following Jesus, Jerusalem, the promise of the Father, the scripture being fulfilled. All these things are all over Luke 21 to 24. And Luke draws those same things when he tells the story in Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 3. What it tells me is that these passages, this work of Jesus in Luke and this work of Jesus in Acts, they're connected. But it also tells us Acts is not merely a sequel. It is a sequel, but it's not merely a sequel. God is doing something new. There's a new dimension to this story. Also, as you read the story of the ascension, Jesus ascends to heaven and the angels, two men in white, come and tell the apostles there, you don't need to look up and Jesus is going to come back. It's interesting to me. He tells them they don't need to like have their head in the sky waiting for the moment Jesus returns. Actually, the best way to wait for Jesus to return is to look out. The point, the reference that they need to draw their attention to is not the heavens. Jesus is going to come back one day. But now turn your attention to Jerusalem. Turn your attention to Judea and Samaria. Turn your attention to the end of the earth, the earth, not the sky. Look at the earth, look at the people there, and your mission, your task is to bear witness to them, not just to have your head looking up in the clouds. I think that's significant of how uh, what, what the angels are telling them. I think, obviously, it's understandable they would be looking up because Jesus had just ascended. But I think there's implicit commission to them, go into all the earth and preach the gospel. Don't just look into the sky. Be ready for Jesus to come back. Yes, absolutely. But the way you will be ready is by looking to the task that you have, and particularly the earth that needs the message of Jesus and what he has done. I got a question particularly about the reference to the resurrection and the ascension, particularly in Ephesians 1. So Ephesians 1 talks about Jesus being raised and seated. So what's the connection between the resurrection and the ascension? What I see this is There's kind of this all-encompassing glory, the glorification of Jesus. So if uh, the resurrection was step one in that glorification, 
the ascension could be step two and Jesus being at the right hand of the father in session at seated at the right hand of the father ruling and reigning. That's like the, the final step in this authority of Jesus. So these are all connected and Paul connects them, doesn't he? In telling us that Jesus is raised and he ascends to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the father, ready to exercise authority there. It reminds me also, it's almost a mirror image of the incarnation where it tells us Jesus in a way descended from heaven to earth, was made in flesh. God was born in flesh, God the Son. The ultimate form of the incarnation is that he died. He literally tasted death in the flesh. So it's kind of a mirror account, uh, the incarnation and the resurrection and the ascension. Uh, Someone else also highlighted something that I think is definitely worth noting in Acts chapter 1, and that is Acts chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, they being like this company that was watching Jesus ascend. It says, when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, and it lists the 11 now, 11 apostles, not Judas. But then it says in verse 14 of Acts 1, they were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. I think it's significant here that Mary particularly is named and also the women who Luke references pretty regularly that follow Jesus, follow Jesus from Galilee. I think it's significant that women are named. You might have heard this before, but if you were trying to make an airtight case, if you were trying to make a compelling case to Roman authorities at the time of the resurrection of someone, if you were trying to pad that case with like favorable arguments, in this culture, in this time, you would not say that women were present. You would not have included them as viable witnesses. Yet we see something about the community that Jesus brings is that there is no Jew or Gentile. There's also no male or female. Jesus has disciples and followers of his. And here I think it's not insignificant that women are at the tomb, the empty tomb of Jesus. Women are at the cross. And women here are also part of this story of the ascension and this uniting together of Jesus' disciples to wait for the coming of the Spirit. I think this is very significant. Also, I think it's significant that the brothers of Jesus are mentioned. It's interesting to me that they are mentioned because if there was a revolution in this time period of Jesus and Herod and Pilate, if there was a revolution, often if the revolutionary was killed, Uh, one of his relatives or a brother would take the place of the revolutionary, would succeed him and lead the next round of the revolution. But here we don't find the biological brothers of Jesus kind of saying, well, now we're going to take Jesus' place and we're going to lead a revolution. No, they're they're subordinate to Jesus. They humble themselves under Jesus. His, His own flesh and blood, his own brothers, humble themselves underneath him and they are part of this company of disciples. So it's interesting that they are there. And it's also interesting to me that they don't uh, assume authority because, well, we're related to Jesus. So now we'll take charge of this movement of the Messiah. We're the, now the Messiah. They don't do that. Uh, they find themselves in company with women and the first followers of Jesus, his apostles. So this is a, a fantastic chapter and we're slowing down walking through it. This coming week, we're going to pick up in a uh, Lord Welling this coming Sunday in verse 15, 
and read to the end of the chapter, end of Acts chapter 1. I think there's more things that God would teach us in light of the ascension. This past Sunday, I closed the message with two questions, and I just want to reiterate those questions to close out this podcast today. The questions were this. First question, is there any area of your life where you need simply to do what Jesus told you to do? So Jesus said it. Is there any place where you need to revise your own plans and ideas to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus? doesn't mean it's easy, but it is simple. Like if Jesus said it, we should be doing it. And then the second question was this, are you truly devoted to a group of disciples of Jesus? Are you truly devoted and, and how does that flesh itself out? Where is your heart really linked to them? Are you praying together? Are you meeting together like these disciples were? So if you're not, what needs to adjust and change in your plans? What needs to become more of a priority so that you have time to pray together and meet together? So these are questions that ought to drive us. They come out of this passage. They at least give us some, some pause, some things to think about. So I want to thank you again for taking a few minutes to listen to The Extra Point, and may God bless you. I hope to see you this coming Sunday. Mm-hmm.